Welcome to the Flea Factory Podcast, where we explore how to put together your life, your passions, your skills, and your responsibilities. Don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Flea Factory Podcast. Uh, today I'm going to be uh, having a conversation with my friend David Rawlings. Uh, David is based here in Adelaide, uh, same as me, and he is an author. Um, he's going to share with us a bit of his story and uh, I guess um, some of the um, the brave moments and the courageous steps that he has taken to continue to keep his, um, his dream and his passion alive. He's a family man, uh, he's worked in the um, uh, the corporate sector as well, and he's just trying to keep um, this passion of his alive for writing fiction. Uh, so I hope you enjoy um, our chat together. I certainly did, um, and enjoy the podcast. Well, thanks for joining me, David. How are you? I'm cold. Oh, you're cold. It's a horrible. It's windy... winter here in Adelaide. <laughs> winter is coming. Well, winter has come. <laughs> winter is say. here. And now winter that Game of Thrones is, is finished, winter is gone. Winter has come. And so, yeah, thanks for coming. I know you've just embraved the not only the wind and the weather, but um, a concrete truck rollover at the top of the expressway. Yeah, Adelaide. I was not involved. I have alibis. <laughs> but it does slow traffic down it when they close roads. Well, yes. I'm super, super privileged to have you. No, great to be here. Yeah, good. So, um, how long have we known each other? That's what I'm going to try and work out to start with. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Maybe 10 years, 12 years. So, I've been here 10 years. So, so it can't be, be more than 10. Okay, so we're probably 8 to 10 years. 8 to 10 years. All right. Yeah. Time flies when you have fun. Well, and you're flat out, yeah. And you're flat, <laughs> and you're flat out. All right. So, um, now go on, let's do it. Let's okay. Give me a give me Throw a thirty me. second. Who is David Rawlings? David Rawlings is a writer. I love that you started with that. Yeah, well, that's that's what I love starting with. Beautiful. So I'm a writer, uh, both professionally. When I want to earn money, I have clients. When I don't, I write fiction. And I have you write fiction for clients. Uh, sometimes okay. depends on the client. <laughs> uh, I've got a family with. Well, we're a teenage family. Ah. Well, my wife's not. That'd be weird. But uh, we got teenage kids. And yeah, I'm late 40s. So transitioning, as it were, my career from the professional writing into fiction writing. Wow. Was that 30 seconds? That's perfect. It's more than I could have hoped for. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm going to ask you my first question that I ask everybody. Yes. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, It was always one thing. I wanted to be a writer. Really? Yes, so I That's was so cool. I know I was a very driven six-year-old who told everybody <laughs> within earshot that I was going to be a writer, but particularly a journalist. So that's what? what I was going to do when I when I grew up. In fact, my goal in life, because I was a complete Aussie Rules footy head, okay, I wanted to write for the our local competitions magazine, so the South okay. Australian Footy League competition, their their football magazine. So that's all I wanted to do when I was a kid. So uh, how did that? Where did that come from? Where did that? Other than you. Obviously enjoyed writing, but yeah. at six or whatever, you know, twelve, whatever, did you you'd put that together with the fact you could make a career out of that at that point? I've got no idea. I, I think back back then, I used yeah. to the the standard line I use is is when it, since I could hold a pen, I did. And okay. so 
mum used to say when when the house went quiet for her friends, it meant the kids were on the roof or yeah, down the right. road or throwing right. things at dogs. When our house went quiet, I was at the kitchen table and I was writing. And that's just something that I've always done. So I don't think it was a conscious decision. I just think it was always there. And it has been ever since. So I've been writing forever. I find So I'm learning things. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, so it's a long throw from me wanting to be an optometrist and clearly not being that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have the vision. Yeah. Oh, See, there it is. See? I'm sure that'll be cut out yeah. during the edit. It will not. There'll be no editing happening. Oh, okay. Be so no more dad form. jokes. No, no definitely yeah. more dad jokes. So to answer your question of where it came from, I yeah. think it was always there. Yeah, that's right. So this is going to be a lot of me going, I'm thinking about that, I'm learning. Okay. Because that's I, the amount of people I talk to who kind of say, I wanted to be this, but that never happened and kind of, I could have been this, but I wasn't and now I'm just this kind of thing. Like there's, there's for many people, there seems to be like a disconnect. There's not a disconnect there. There's a complete no. connection through where, where the disconnection happened right. is the six-year-old wanted to write stories okay and then the teenage and early 20s and early 30s david yes went into the corporate sector still wrote right but put the fiction on the back burner right which i was going to do one day when i had enough clients i had enough money i had enough time i had enough something right. and the funny thing is now that i'm in my late 40s and i'm now writing fiction i'm actually doing what i said i would do but it's not a different dream. I just think I took a massive detour through the woods to get to where I am right now. So I've always written, mm. but the concept of story and fiction and all that sort of stuff right. was shelved because contrary to what many people believe, when you write a book, you don't become a millionaire. <laughs> and you don't? No, so you actually have oh. to go and, in my case, use my skill set, which is writing, yeah. uh, writing in business. To continue to keep the dream alive. Yeah. I tend to, I explain it to people in the sense of words are my tools, in the sense right. of, you know, I have people I know that are very comfortable on a building site, putting a house together and the tools that they use, I pick them up and hopefully I'm holding it the right way up. But for right. me, the words are the tools that I use. It's just that in the professional sense, I use them to sell a business or a bank or an insurance company or um, put together a website for an architect and capture their story in words that will get them business. So right. I use words as tools, it's just... I guess in business, I tend to think of it more as a set of carpentry tools where it's a bit more rough and ready, whereas I'm a bit more of a, a craftsman or a, a cabinet maker when it comes to the fiction because it's a bit more articulate and it's a bit more it's a bit more artistic, I guess, in a sense. That's a great analogy. Hmm. Is that an analogy? I'm a, that yes. was an analogy. Yes, it's an analogy. I need, I need to You're getting sure. flashbacks to your 10 English I'm here, aren't you? I'm having really horror stories because <laughs> I'm... Um, so I, I know a lot of... I'm sorry, I'm going to talk about, I was about to say a friend of mine. I'm not, it's me. So okay. it's me, okay? All right. I've, <laughs> I've been saying I've been writing a book for like 15 ever. years. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine I'm not the only person who's ever said that to you. No, as soon as you introduce yourself as a writer. I've never done that. No. Oh, no, when you introduce When yourself. I introduce myself oh, as a writer. Oh, I see, right. Yeah. So when you in the general sense. Yes. Let me personalise it. When I introduce myself <laughs> as a writer. Yes. The inevitable statement I hear, which is either next or, or the statement after that is, oh, I'm going to write a book one day right. or yeah. I'm in the middle of writing a book. Right. So I think it's one of those things that intrinsically we want to express ourselves. And so, and it's, it's often perceived as, I don't know if this is the wrong way to read it, but it's perceived as easy. And my comment is if it's easy, then the libraries would be more than full. <laughs> what? Yes. So I want... <laughs> I have a. I might put this out next as one of my podcasts, but um, I wrote 
I wrote um, the first chapter of a book, <laughs> which is called I'm Writing a Book. And basically it says if you're here listening to this, I'm if you're dead. reading this, I'm... I'm dead? No. But no, well, I, no, like I've overcome my... I, I said I've got... I used to say I have writer's block, but that's like saying you have tennis elbow and you've never picked up a racket, yeah. right, kind of thing. And so um, I'm fully acquainted with the idea, but what I've worked out is my medium is not writing, my medium is probably talking. Yeah. Okay, and I think that, that's been a interesting revelation for me as, as we go along. But I like that analogy that, as you say, that you basically, you use your tools. So corporately, you've used your tools to express story on behalf of other people. That's right. Um, but for you, this now journey into writing the stories that are in you that represent the stories that you want to share is, is kind of where you're at. That's that's kind of the, the step you're pushing more and more into. That's what it's leading to. That's what yeah. it's leading to at the moment. All yeah. right. So you, did, so you don't look at... We don't potentially know where it kind of came from. It's always just kind of been there, this idea of being a writer. Did you know any writers growing up, like personally? Or did you know no. anybody who called themselves a writer? No. Or? So it's not like I had a, an uncle or I had a family friend or the guy right. next door wrote for the newspaper and so I just used to sit at his knee. It's just, yeah, it was just, that's that's how I express myself. It's, it's, right. it's I'll often write to get yeah. things out. So, yeah, it, it's it's just always been there. That's That's not a very... It's not a very creative way of arriving at that, right. but I think it's just just how I'm I'm wired. Well, it's a real way of arriving. It's like you know those people who say I'm I'm the only musical person in my family, and like yeah. no no one else can. So I get that. Like it happens. That's well, it's like that with any creative field because I know sculptors and painters and musos, yeah. and they've ever since they could pick up an instrument, they did, or yeah. ever since they could, you know, their very first paintings as a four year old, everyone stood back and went, "Who did that? That's incredible." Mm. It's just maybe it's the creative side of us. It's just it's there. Yeah, maybe that's why writing a book is hard, in the sense that I also know people who say I've always wanted to, you know, record my own music, and that yeah. doesn't happen as often as I hear it. So maybe it's the creative side of us. It's just that's how we express ourselves and how we interact with the world and, and put ourselves out there. Yeah, maybe it is. There's probably two elements to that one. It's some kind of inherent kind of talent or skill or ability, uh, but also it's. It, it's hard because you've got to do it, right? Yeah. There's that. There's a there's a level of discipline. In oh, there. absolutely. That, is, that yeah. is um, and that's the bit that the people who say I'm writing a book and who aren't. Yeah. That's you're not necessarily commenting on whether they have the skill to write the book. That's that's not actually. They'll that'll prove whether they you know in the content of what they write. Problem is they'll never actually write it down because oh exactly discipline to do and it. continue to learn. See, I've coached. Right. I've my debut novel came out in March in the US and I've had a number of people say coach me so right. I've said how about we have a conversation first because I think that will probably be more helpful for you than formal coaching sessions sure. and I've said to them it's not an ability issue it's a discipline issue because when they say how did you write a book it's not you know I picked my favourite noun then added a verb then threw an adverb in there then took it out because <laughs> you're not supposed to use them and then picked another noun then That's what four different adjectives in a row it's not the mechanics of it it's the fact that I'm currently I'm writing my third novel, which I'm contracted for, and that's yep. due mid next year. Yeah, and I know I've got to knock out two two and a half thousand words a day on top of everything else. And if I don't sit down and write them, the book doesn't get written. Right, the story I'm, can live in my head forever. Yeah, it's a discipline issue as much as anything. But the discipline then extends to yes, when you write, you're expressing the story, but it can always be better. Yeah. So I'm constantly saying, all right. 
how do I phrase that better? How do I learn how to approach this better? How do I research better? Right. And it's that's the other half of the discipline is how do you improve? Sure. It's also a bit of a weird concept that I think when people think about being an author, they think about writing for a couple of hours a day yeah. and then doing book tours and launches and going on Letterman and all that kind of stuff. Like it's kind of that's the – so when you think of what the job of an author is, mm-hmm. it feels in your head. It's a bit like an actor yeah. or, a, or whatever. You can think about any job and you think, well, your version of what you think it means to be an author. But the, the reality is it's – that's not what it looks like at all to actually be an no. author. It's a It's a – a much bigger, more dedicated, long hours, energy sapping commitment that you've got to kind of, you know, you've got to drag yourself to that as much as you've got to drag yourself to to other jobs at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there are days where it just flows out of you like you can't stop it. But um, it, I think it's our, our assumption of what a job or a career necessarily looks like. And I think that's hard because when you finally attain a career that you think you want and you realise it doesn't look like you thought it looked like, um, I think that's a slight problem. I think lots of people do degrees like that, right? They oh, finish yeah. degrees yeah. and go into careers and go, oh, no. This is not what I thought it would be at all. <laughs> no, this has got this has got nothing yeah. connected. So, All right, so here's what we're going to do. So okay. we will talk about your current authoring. Is that the word? It is know. now. Congratulations. Yeah. Whoop, You've just, just given birth it. to a brand new word. It's in the dictionary. That's how words work these days. Um, and we've heard about kind of you just felt like being a writer like you're from the beginnings. Let's um, – what, what were some of the jobs that you did? Because I'm fascinated with this kind of career arc mm-hmm. that people take. So we're left school. Let's say we've, we've, we've left school. What, is, what does work look like for David Rawlings? Okay. Where, where do you so, start? And- I left high school and went into uni and studied journalism okay. because that's what I wanted to do. Great. About two and a half years into journalism, I realized how much I loved the creative side of writing. I loved okay. interviewing people and then writing a colour piece. So I could knock out 2,000 words in a colour piece right. and loved it. Or an opinion piece. That doesn't mean I loved the fact that I was expressing an opinion. It's the fact that I loved the fact that it was it was more creative. You had a bit more freedom. So the process was... Yeah, it was yeah, a bit right. more freeing. And the other half of journalism, which was head down to the police station, get the details, post the news story. The more I did it, the more it left me feeling cold. So... Right. At the end of my degree, I did a, an, a placement or an internship in an advertising agency mm-hmm. and thought, actually, I this is how I want to use words. And okay. so I didn't go into journalism. I, I went into corporate PR, publicity, advertising, direct marketing, that sort of stuff. So I actually, I look back on my LinkedIn profile, which doesn't follow the <laughs> usual arc. Yeah. You know, the, the traditional pathway, if, if you're in an industry, is your, your junior accountant, mid-level accountant, senior accountant, Junior account manager, senior account manager, director, you go up in a linear fashion. Yeah. I jumped around all over the place, but the, the constant was always writing. So I've worked in direct marketing, I've worked in advertising, I've worked in PR, I've worked in publicity, I've worked in event management, I've worked in the not-for-profit sector, I've worked for corporate, I've worked in consultancy, I've worked in government. So I've covered every base. When you look at yeah. my LinkedIn profile, it looks like <laughs> I have got serious commitment issues because <laughs> I just can't hang around. The fascinating thing is I went to a I went to my first writers conference in the US, which yeah. we'll probably get to. And they put up a list on the screen, a checklist of these are the skills you need as an author. 
that was my LinkedIn profile. Wow. You need to be a direct marketer and an advertiser and understand social media and you need to be comfortable with the media and you need to be, you need to understand the interview process. You need to, all of this stuff was basically what I've done. Yeah. And so this long meandering that I looked at and thought, I should have a better, clearer path through my career than that actually has prepared me for this moment in time. It's really strange. When you look yeah. at it like that, you think that's actually beyond coincidence. That's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I've worked in a range of roles doing a range of things, but I'm bringing all of those skill sets now yep. to the brand of me as an author. Right. So yeah, it's my, my LinkedIn profile now suddenly makes a bit more sense in the sense of it's in, not a disappointment. Now. Yeah, sure. it's, it's contextual. Was Be- it a disappointment previously to you? Was, right. it, was, it, was it frustrating to you to look at it? Probably more frustrating than a disappointment. Yeah. And that's just in the sense that it wasn't following what everybody else did. Right. In the sense of people would get a promotion and they'd move up. There are people I worked in finance. Some of the people that were at my level are now sort of at you know senior right. associate lending director because they took yeah. a, they took an upward tra- trajectory in a straight line. Sure. Whereas I went from that to a PR firm, sure. and then went from that to writing online at a university, and then went from that to my own business where I, I'm writing for a range of clients. So while they had an obvious clear career path, right. yeah. I was jumping around the place. So collecting just enough experience and information from each area to be useful for your future. To be useful now. Yeah. And, and now if I wanted to do something different, we'd be having a very different conversation. Right. But the fact is what I need now is what I've done. And that in itself is quite when I actually looked at it in that sense, I, I it, it really was quite mind blowing. So do you think that somewhere in the in in you you kind of knew that you needed to be good at certain things? Yeah, now, let's call it now that. in let's hindsight call it that. do you no, I don't think. I honestly don't think I. You don't think you had anything to do. No, nah, I really don't. I think it's giving me, uh, me way too much okay. credit. Right. So there was no strategy in that. No, there wasn't really a strategic sense of okay, I've done, I've done online, I've done PR, I've done publicity. Therefore, I need to add social media to the mix. So I'll be a social right. media strategist for a while. Hmm. Yeah, there was no real sense of that. It was just this is how I can apply the skill set I've got in a different way. Right. Admittedly, our field in communication and marketing, people do tend to do that more than they do in some other industries. Right. Public relations particularly, people yeah. tend to last two or three years and then move on. Okay. Um, still within the industry, just to a different challenge. So right. maybe that's maybe I was just responding to needing a different challenge. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So that takes us kind of through many years of your career in a sense in different kind of we don't need to go into the details of every single move i imagine that you know that we're going to sum them all together into a yeah a, a large block uh, but that kind of takes us to i think the last so for, for as long as i've known you you've been passionate about writing for for you like writing, writing my stories rather stories. than somebody That's else's right. yeah. yeah as long as i've known that um and i've i knew you before you were famous so um <laughs> <laughs> um but Everybody I, that meets me tomorrow is going to know me before I'm famous. But go. On. I, I, I text, it's a joke. I, it's a joke. I text we have you often, and I say, "Are you famous yet?" That's yeah. my that's my usual text message to David. So, um, and he says, "Not to my knowledge." Is <laughs> usually what he writes back to me. But um, what's been what I'd love to hear is because I think one of one of the questions I've been asking people is, um, what are some of the courageous things that you've done uh, that have enabled you to go after the thing that really burns inside you that you love and I know there's been some steps along that way that you've just put yourself out there and I'm sure there's, there's some of those which haven't gone the way you expected mm-hmm. um, but you picked yourself up and, and continue to go so um, what was the first what was the first courageous step 
that you can remember taking in in recent history that that made you go to head down a fiction path. yeah to head down a fiction path to actually go no so I'm gonna because there has to be a genesis point for me there has, there's a, there's that first step mm-hmm. where you actually go no I'm gonna, I'm doing it now so what is my origin story what was your origin story yeah yeah what is that moment were you bit by a spider. Uh, I, I was. Um, the results weren't good. Oh, right. Yeah. No Spider-Man outcome. Uh, no, unfortunately. No that was the end of that story. Um, no, 2014. I look. I was always going to come back to this one day, to the point where yeah. I I collected story ideas for years. Okay. And oh, there's an idea. Well, you know, I'd look at a situation and go, "Wouldn't it be interesting if?" Which is what a lot of writers do. Is that they right. just they cock their head slightly and go. That's a different way of looking at that. So I'd write down a story idea and file it away because one day I was going to come back to it when I had enough money, enough clients, I had enough time, I had enough something. Yeah. Has that happened yet? You've got enough of all those things? No. No, right. No, but here we are. Right. Um, so that's that, was, that was the first thing. Right, because that's, that, that's an interesting point because I hear that a lot, right? And I've said that to myself. When I have enough of this, 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 and this, then yeah. I will. That magic moment where all the stars align tend not to – doesn't all that doesn't all of a sudden happen and then you say, ah, today I can start because all those ducks are in a row. Yeah. You have Which, to do it despite that. But it's right? something we all do. I mean, of I, was, course. I was talking to somebody yesterday because I've got a client in finances and you've just described superannuation and the retirement process because people will say, oh, no, I'm working <laughs> 70 hours a week because when I'm 60, I'll retire because I'll have enough money. And right. so – we're, we're trained to do that in society. Yeah. That's just what we're – the expectation is that that's what we'll do. Now, we'll get back to your question about, yeah, about enough in a minute. But yep. what I've done is flip that. Yep. I might be working till I'm 70 and I'm okay with that. Right, okay. Because I've taken some of the time that I would have, you know, done the traditional grey nomad thing in Australia. You retire, you yep. buy a caravan, you head north. Um, and that's what that's what we our society does. We, we encourage people to put off living life till later. And I've flipped it. So I've actually taken some of the time that I would have had when I was 60 and invested it now. Right. And so I'm okay with that. Mm. So the step I took in 2014 was yep. I was really felt convicted. It was almost a compulsion that at what stage will enough be enough? You just have to jump in here. Yep. And so that required a significant amount of courage, not just from me, but from my wife as well. Right. Because I said, I really need to take a couple of months off and write this story that I had bouncing around my head. And to her eternal credit, she said, if you have to do it, you have to do it. Mm. And that the courageous thing there is not saying I'm going to write. It's I'm going to say no to paid work right. while I finish the story. And that, again, is so countercultural because I run my own business. And in business, you're told it's all about the P&L. It's all about your bottom line. It's all about more clients. And I'm trying to back away from that and take half of my time into a place yeah. that's – and it wasn't that writing was unpaid. It was it was an opportunity that was completely risky. There's a complete complete possibility that this would never go anywhere. And the time that I invested in it is – wasted potentially just an indulgent oh yeah indulging yourself exactly and and it's not just that you don't get paid for it you're actually it's negative isn't it because you're saying no to other work that's right yeah yeah right and i'm in my own business where you can't afford to say no too often otherwise you you get known as he's too busy she's too busy and so therefore people don't bother to to give you a call Mm. and so i was potentially saying no not just for the moment but for the next five years 
Right. And that was a big step. But I did it and wrote a manuscript, which still to this day isn't published. Right. So the one you took time off to write. Yeah, still is on my laptop. Wow. Now, it will probably be published one day in some form. Okay. Uh, As I keep saying to people, if you've got a story in your head, if you don't write it down, you can't publish it at all because it lives in your brain. (laughs) For me, I've I've got 330 pages on screen and I can, you know, I've got a publisher in the States. I'll run it past them. If they don't want it, there are other ways of of getting it done. Sure. So I wrote that manuscript and I started entering it into competitions in the States. Now, that was the other big courageous thing was I could have published it here in Australia. Okay. But – I really, again, and the word I keep coming back to is compulsion. It really felt that I should do this. Not that I could, but I should. Okay. So I focused on America as a marketplace, which yep. in numbers terms is, is stupid. Yeah, yeah. You look back in Australian creative history, the number of bands who were huge in Australia yep. and then went to the States and became something, yep. let alone you know became huge, but actually got signed – the number of bands that came back with the tails between their legs yeah. is is enormous. Yeah. You know, we, we'll point to NXS and Midnight Oil. Sure. And they had global brands, but yeah. they're two out of thousands Yeah, who said they were going to head over there. Over to go. Um, that's from my era. It's probably Silver Chair if you're the next generation down. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> So I decided to focus on America. Yeah. And so I submitted uh, the book's called Pasta Swap. So it's a story of, well, you're in it. Actually, I, I named a character after you. Oh, yes, that's why. Um, that's why it's, it's about not published. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now you mention it. Change the name, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story of a reality TV guru who runs out of ideas and he's about to get fired because he's completely out of ideas. And he comes up with this TV program where he takes a, a pastor from a mega church, one of these you know, 40,000 seat stadium gigs, <laughs> and swaps them with a, a pastor of a poor suburban church, which is dying. Right. And switches them over. Yeah. So it's about reality television as much as anything. And um, so I submitted that to all these competitions, got some feedback of what I needed to change. And what I needed to change was I needed to write like an American. In for, the a, American for the American market. And so that was the third big courageous thing is I just had to accept that as a writer, you value your voice and you value your style. Mm. But I had to go... If I'm going to be serious about this, I need to factor this in. Right. So I had to relearn writing because in, right. in an Australian sense, we use UK grammar. We speak the Queen's English yes. badly sometimes. Yeah. We, we spell like our, We spell. We spell. Um, but the phrasing's different. The Every grammar's American different. going, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> yes, there's a U in colour, folks. Get used to it. Yes, there is. And so I had, and it was more than just typing with an American accent. I just had, I had to learn how to phrase like an American. Right. And so. Because it is different. It is very different. We don't think about, like, I don't think about that. No. Like, as a, I'm going to say it, as not an author, because I'm definitely not (laughs) one. But we don't, I think we understood it said and spoken, but it's a, so it's a completely different. Approach it's a completely different way. So relearning how to write—that's that's your yeah. I took it back to basics, and wow. which is a hard lesson when you've been writing for twenty-five years yeah. professionally. And the feedback I got from one of the judges in the finals was almost to the point where this judge was questioning whether or not the public school system had failed me because I was misspelling basic words, and this judge didn't know that I was an Aussie. This judge thought I was an American writer and it, that's the moment where, where it went off in my head and I went, 
nobody knows I'm an Australian. Right, and no one's going to. And no one's going to care, right? Because they're just going to want to read a good book. Okay. So I I I relearned it. So I rewrote that story and submitted it the following year and finaled in a number of competitions. Right. And so that was the key lesson: was learning the fact that it wasn't about me, in the Mm. sense of the pride or the ego of it. It was about the story, and so that was a that was a big big thing to step down from. Yeah. And the the initial reaction was kind of like, oh, you, <laughs> you you people over there don't know how to spell and that's well right. the fact is that's irrelevant as an opinion. Right. It's just what happens. So you could have very easily at that point that that could have been it, right? That first time. Could have walked could have away. Just gone, yeah. nah. Well, I actually submitted to a number of competitions over there and didn't get anywhere. Right. And one of the paths could have been, well that didn't work. Yes. And that so could have been a conclusion you it could have been yeah, could have been a, the all oh, right, well that didn't work. I had a go. But I thought, no, I reckon there's something here. I just need to learn the lesson. So I learned the lesson. So you resubmitted the same story. Same story. Rewritten the second time. Yep. But yet that story is still not the one that's published. No, that was the that was the foot in the door. And this, right. is, this is, to me, when I look back, when you were asking your questions yeah. um, to prep for this, yeah. it's what did you learn, where is the courage, all that sort of thing. Yep. I think there's a courage too in any creative field, but especially the writers that I talk to in getting up off the canvas. Yeah. And the canvas is rejection in any form. Yeah. So even I, I've – my mentor is um, James L. Rubart, legend of a bloke. Sorry, um, guy if you're guy. American. Um, <laughs> and he talks about you know the, the rejection of someone not liking his 13th novel. It's like, dude, you can write. You're on the shelf. Yeah. You Actually, you take up a bookcase, not just a shelf. But it's there's still the rejection there yeah. because it's it's a rejection of you and your yeah. art. Yeah. So for me, getting up from the canvas back then was the judges didn't like my story. Yep. And therefore, the the place we all go as writers, I think I'm I'm comfortable in saying that, is that that means that we're bad writers. Right. But it's so subjective. Yeah. That you could love the story I write, and the person sitting next to you could hate it. Yeah. And that's just because your people. And this is subjective. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the first first piece of courage was, was resubmitting. Yeah. I then went over to the States for one of the, the gala dinners for the final. Yep. And I thought my best chance of connecting with everybody is to be there. Yes. And this is where my voice becomes a bonus because in a room of 700 Americans – I you know, I don't Steve Irwin it up and start you know no, saying they love Australia. I know, but I don't go crikey and start wrestling <laughs> crocodiles and stuff. But it means I stand out. Absolutely. So I went over to that conference and I treated it like a like an incursion in military terms, and I planned it down to the the nth degree, and I pitched everything with a pulse. Writers, yep. other writers, editors. Agents, Pitch publishers. with a bolt. Oh, that should be on a T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. That's great. It, it should be. Yeah, it's, it should be a conference slogan actually. <laughs> So I went over and I basically said, this is my big moment. Yeah. I'm recognized because I'm a finalist. So therefore, and when I wandered around the conference and they mm. give you a little ribbon to where it says you're a finalist. Yes. So people, oh, tell me about your story. So it was the foot in the door. And then they know you're Australian because you speak. That's right. Right. And I opened my mouth and suddenly I stand out. Got it. So I went across for that. And I had a number of leads. I had a publisher in the UK that was interested. I had three different agents in the US that were interested. Yep. And I came back to Australia. I didn't win, but I was okay with that because this was my right. ticket to the party almost. Right. One by one, those leads fizzled. Agent got back to me. I've read it. I've shopped it. Nobody wants it. Right. And the message I kept getting back from the States was people don't know how to pigeonhole it. So yeah. 
we're not going to run with it. Then the, the things with the UK progressed and they were keen as a publisher. And I thought, okay, we'll go back to the mother country and they can publish the, the story for me. And then they... They said it was too American. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cricket. I love cricket. Yeah, cricket, yeah. cricket. Yeah. Get rid of the baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mention cricket to an Englishman. No. Um, but then they ran into a financial truck that was coming the other way and they, right. they stopped publishing everything while they right. recovered. Right. And so every lead I had died. And so that was the, the next piece of courage was... That could have been the end again. That could be the end again. Because I've written this story. I know it's good because it reached the final. It beat 200 other novels. So there's something in it. There's something here. Right. And I only had – what when I was, I was sitting in the Nashville airport coming home. Yep. And I mentioned before James Rubart, my mentor. Yes. Jim had won like his 7,000th award for, for <laughs> Best Supporting Actress or something. I don't know. And <laughs> – and so he gave a speech, talked about not being validated by being recognised, but we're validated already. And it was a powerful speech. And so I'm sitting in the airport feeling a bit down because these things aren't working. And I just shot him off a Facebook message and said, thanks so much for saying what you need, what you said. I needed to hear it. And congratulations. Now, that Facebook message was my only lead from that conference. Okay. We connected after that and he became my mentor. Right which was an interesting step in the process. And yeah. so I, I sat back and said, all right, the first story isn't going to fly. That hurt. It's like somebody saying your firstborn is ugly. <laughs> uh, you take it like a parent does. And mm. so I thought, oh, I've got to write something else. So one of the agents had turned me down. He said, why don't you try something else? You've got ability. Okay. Write something else. So I went and wrote another story, right. which is now my debut novel, which wow. is called The Baggage Handler. So before we go on to that, I want to ask you a question about... Yeah. Uh, so I've often said that I think creativity or ideas are, are, are linear. And, and stay with me for a second. In okay. the sense that uh, they're like carriages on a train. And you can't get the fourth idea. You can't get the fourth carriage until you get the other three out. Mm-hmm. Like that, you can't just selectively choose ideas. So you can't sit down at a computer and say, today I'm going to write... Um, a very good novel. No. You, you can't just you can't just say today's the day I'm going to write. You have to write the not as good novels to get to the good novel. They they come out in it's the same with songwriting, right? Yeah. It's this concept that um, uh, Ed Sheeran for his latest album only wrote the, what it, like the eleven songs that are on the album. It's nonsense. Like he will have written hundreds of songs, and it's just eleven of them make the album. Yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that comes out before you get to the good stuff. And yep. what I find for a lot of people is they give up somewhere in the middle of writing the ordinary stuff. Is that, oh, does that, that make that's sense? Absolutely that's, the case. That's yeah. how it works. Is that with your experience? Definitely. Like, luckily for me, I, I, I'm a muso. I love the Beatles. Yeah. Love the Beatles. And I. Well, this new movie's fascinating. Right? I know. This yesterday movie because it's like he's doing that right. He's selectively yeah. just because he knows the trick. Yeah, <laughs> just writing the hits. Well, it's it's kind of like if you were to stand at the the precipice of your life at the end of your life yes. and look back, and if you cherry picked all the highlights, it looks like you've had an amazing life. Well, that's Instagram, right? Yeah, well, pretty much. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell. Um, the same thing happens in the creative process. So yeah. when I've I've studied songwriting with Lennon and McCartney, we t- we yes. look at the hits. 
But if you go back through the Revolver album and the White album, and, and there's some really experimental stuff in there, yeah. and that's the stuff that made the album. Right. Now, I've, I've heard some of the, the, the studio sessions where stuff didn't make the cut, mm. and you listen to that and you think, that is awful. <laughs> yeah. Com- heaven compared forbid- to yeah, compared to I want to hold your hand, which right. was a global number one. Right. Same thing happens in writing. You just you have to tell the story, and you have to tell it as well as you can. Right. And then the sub- the subjectivity of the other end of the process kicks in, which is like with my first manuscript. I like the story. I buttonholed three four hundred people in Nashville. I didn't get a negative thing about it. Mm. Everyone said I want to read the story. Industry said not going to sell. Right. Now okay. I just have to accept that and move on with it because I can't change it. I can't mm. tell them they're wrong. It's a subjective thing. Mm. So I think it, there's maybe there's a creative clearing of the pipes that you just have yeah. to get the idea out. But it's a discipline to keep moving through. Oh, exactly, those you've got to keep so going. For, there'll be some people out here who go, "I'm not a creative person. I'm not into this." I'm not. So let's let connect these dots, I guess, for others. Yeah. But it's like any career thing you're trying, and or any anything you want to do, or any. It doesn't have to be in its essence, what you think is creative, like a musician or a writer. Or I think there are times you will pursue certain things in your life that will not go well, but that's okay. That's part of the process. But it's the yeah. giving up. It's the giving up in that point that that is the problem. Yes. So if, if it's, it's picking yourself back up again and going to the next. Or realizing the inherent value behind what you're doing. Yeah. See, the the story of I was reading years ago about Robert Kiyosaki, investment bloke from I think he's from Hawaii, and he talked about the fact that he he couldn't sell. He was hopeless at selling. Right. So he went into industries, retail places like that, so that he could learn how to sell. Right. And okay. um, I I don't want to quote him because it was ages since I've read the book, sure. but the the essence of the story was um, that he wasn't really good at it, but he learned to get good at it. Yeah. Now that's because the value in there was the the skill of selling. Yeah. Now he wasn't, from what I read, wasn't planning on being the world's greatest retail salesman, but he right. wanted the skill. Sure. Now for me, it's almost the Thomas and Thomas Edison thing. Is yeah, every absolutely. time every time right. you fail, you work out another way not to do well, it. Ten thousand ways it doesn't work. Is exactly. Yeah. And so the same. That's the same thing with the creative process. I think where mm. it becomes complicated is because if a story comes from deep within you, as it should, mm. and people reject it. They're rejecting you. Well, this will be the second podcast in a row I mentioned Brene Brown's There Is No Creativity Without Vulnerability. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's true because in essence everything and everything we do in life, if if we're doing it authentically, is 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 us. It's yeah. the whole point, whether it's whatever it is. Um, and so uh, critique or criticism hurts or what we perceive as failure. Yeah, hurts. And I also know I also know people in the creative field, mainly writers, and they go completely the other way. That if they okay. get if they get criticism, it's because the other person is wrong. Ah, that it becomes a def- it, all. it becomes a defense mechanism. And right. This is another thing where my career has led me to this point. I've I've written every day for twenty five yep. years. So what do they know? No, kind of thing. no. The, the skill I learned over time yep. was the fact that someone somewhere is not going to like what I've written. Right. So I've written an ad campaign for a client and I've presented it to the client yep. and there are six people around the table and one of them goes, well, that's awful. <laughs> I go, okay, well, let's, <laughs> explore. You really well, let's explore why because your other yeah. five colleagues think it'll work. Now, I'm not ganging up on them with numbers, but I'm no, saying no. if you say, oh, that won't work, I will go, why doesn't it work? Yeah. 
And well, that's that's the point where you analyze it. So well, that's what I do with, and even when the debut came out, I had some reviews come out. Mm-hmm. You you try not to focus on the five stars that you love and the two stars that you hate. But I got a two star review and I read it and I thought, okay, what is this person actually saying? Yes. Yeah. Rather than oh that that review didn't exist, and right. it turned out this person didn't like the story because it didn't flesh out the characters and they like to read characters. and So okay. instead of going, oh, that never happens, I went, right. okay, they're looking for something that I'm actually not putting together. You didn't give them what they wanted, but that's not what you do. But that's not their right. fault and it's also not my fault. That's just the way it is. And that's what I've learned over, over being right. a copywriter is when you put forward creative ideas, inevitably some of them are going to work and most won't. Right. And you just get... You yep. get galvanized to, to work with the rejection as a so, creative process absolutely. itself. So the way I understand that is I just don't like you too. Me personally or you too as in Bono I personally, the I don't like you too. Yeah. I just don't. I just all power to you. I know. And I don't diminish that they're an amazing band and people love them and people will be buying tickets. It's just not my thing. Yeah. What does Bill Bailey call them? Some old Celtic bollocks. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> something like that. Having said that, and I understand the irony in this, I quite like Coldplay, which is just like. I think we cut two, the interview you, there. I think we're done. It's just U two point But see something like Coldplay. It's interesting though. I also, and again, maybe it's just the, the creative songwriting process. I love the way Chris Martin writes songs. Yeah. Some of their stuff puts me to sleep. Now, right. I, some of their songs, you know, one or two of them are among my favourites sure. of any music. But there's a sense of you go with a herd who doesn't like Coldplay. Because it's trendy not to right. like Coldplay, or it's yeah. trendy to love you too. Yeah, it, I'm yeah. so countercultural. I know you're <laughs> you're a rebel at heart. <laughs> yeah, I am. All right, so we've got to. So let's talk we've about got to where write, we are. we've yeah. got to writing the next. We the, have the next novel, and this is kind of the you've picked yourself up again. You yeah. have to be courageous again. This is your moment. I'm still coming at big risk. This this big risk. You you're also still saying to your family, I still want to keep. Can I keep giving this a go? Yep. Like this is the I want to keep the kind of the dream alive to keep doing things. So it's um and I know you're still living that now. I don't want to make it out to like it's all fixed now and it's all oh, still no, making it will, the risk. It will be a process for a we while. We are living it now, yeah. right? But so second story. That, second story. That's where we're at. What's the what's the process then around how do you pick yourself up and how where do you start? Okay, well that process, process kind of started for me. I was I was talking to an agent in the States I yeah. mentioned before. And he said, try something else. So mm-hmm. I, I turned to other types of stories. Uh, and he said, maybe there's, maybe your style suits the, the life lesson type story. Okay. The, in the olden days, you would have called it a, a parable. It's, it's sure. truth wrapped, in a, uh, wrapped uh, underneath a, yep. a story. Yep. Sorry, story wrapped around truth. You'd think I'd be good at words by now. Um, You'd write it down better. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so I started throwing myself into stories like that and – the debut novel was what came out of that. And it really did, once I was open to the idea of writing something different, this idea just arrived. Right. And. Hey, well, that's interesting. Yeah. The minute you were open to the idea of writing something different, because that's not, that, that's not, that's not flippant, right? That's a big deal. Well, it is. I mean, genre is our badge as a right. writer. The, the second thing that you'll get asked or you will ask a writer is when you say, what do you do? I'm a writer. The very next thing you'll hear is, what do you write? What do you write? And particularly at a conference, that's that's what, and we all we all clump together based on our, our similar genres. <laughs> Fantasy writers at the corner, well, exactly. Science and swords, <laughs> science fiction writers, sort of up against the wall on their own, not talking to anybody. With aluminium hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry to the sci-fi writers out there. You do a great job, and I read science fiction. Um, so I was basically saying, okay, I've written a contemporary story, 
and yep. it didn't work. Maybe I need to go into more of a, the genre is probably closer to something called Slipstream, which is contemporary. It's sort of on the edges of contemporary. It's a little bit fantasy and a little bit contemporary. Okay. And so, yeah, that was, that was a, a that was a decision in itself to say, okay, maybe it's not the story itself. Maybe I just need to approach it differently. That's just a big deal. I just yeah, think it that's is. a big deal for you to come to that point yeah. and to process that and to then recommit yourself to trying something new. That I just think that's a flashpoint where some people go, no. Step too far. Yeah. I, can't, I can't I can't get through that. So I just I as I hear you say that, I I hear the value in that that decision. Yeah. Well, the value is there because that's the book that got published. Right. So the outcome and the results turned up. Yeah. But I think I needed to accept the fact that's what I needed to do. Right. So do you write that, shop that to everything with a pulse or how does that kind of no, work? No, what happened with that one is I wrote it and it it, it flowed. Right. Uh, as in ridiculously. Okay. When when I'm writing well, I'll get, you know, people, people are looking for two, 3,000 word days. Yep. There were there were days on the baggage handler where I'd sit back and I'd put 15,000 words on the page. Whoa. And I mean, not all of those are rolled gold or stay in the edit. Sure. Some of them play their role. Sure, they sort sure. of sacrifice themselves in the front line of sure, editing. It's a bad chorus in a song that'll never get published. Exactly right. It's got exactly to right. carriage, but you've got to write it. Yeah. So this story yeah. this story came out. And, and here, here's where the failure played a role in the success because I then had a mentor who I'd connected with through my failure going to America the first time. Right. And I sent him the book and he said, I, I will endorse you to some people around the place. Wow. And I'm forever grateful to Jim for doing that because suddenly people were listening because it wasn't just some unknown nobody from Australia. I'm still a nobody. It was an unknown nobody from Australia with a guy that thought he had yeah, something. with a somebody. Right. And so um, we, we started pitching agents and Jim endorsed me to all these agents and one of them, Steve Lobby, who is now my agent, okay got back to me and said, really cool of Jim to do that. I'll read your proposal. And then wow. a couple of days later, he, he had a contract and said, let's work together. And then Steve shopped it around to, to publishing and I ended up with HarperCollins. And the, the staggering thing is, through all that rejection and picking yourself up and all the rest of it, if you if you told me on day one, who do I want to go with as an, as an agent? I had three names and Steve was one of them. Wow. And if you said, who do you want to go with as a publisher? There was only one name on the list and that was HarperCollins. That's who you got. And that's who I ended up with. So that... Yeah. Are you one of only like one or two Australians with, with uh, this There's two of us now. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not not too many at all. Right. And so that's that's where it comes back to that original courageous okay. decision to, to go for America because sure. the, the it, I was going to say it's easier. It's not easy. Publishing is not easy. So to say it was That's another T-shirt. Well, exactly. Publishing is not easy. It's not in capitals, underlined, <laughs> couple of emojis. <laughs> I can guess what the emojis are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Insert your own here, yeah, uh, listeners. Yeah, wow. Um, so now that almost impossibility is now yeah. something. And when I when I talk to you know the people over at um, HarperCollins Christian Publishing in Nashville are amazing, and and they love the connection we've got and the partnership we've got. Yeah, and so that's that's where I am at the moment. I've right. got one book that hit hit the marketplace in March. That's the Baggage Handler. The Camera Never Lies is due on December third this year, and I've got book three. I'm contracted for which coming out next year, and then we'll see what happens after that. 
Amazing. And then you'll be famous. And then hopefully you'll be famous. Because that's the goal. No, yeah. it's really not. I understand. <laughs> it's just our running joke. Um, so once again, so again, when I, so I'm trying to pick out common themes as I talk to people. There's yeah. another moment. There's always Pete. There's a person or there's people, right, that are – so this mentor now that you – that you you find along the way, yeah. But again, it's it's out of. I think what you just said a second ago was out of my failure or out of my disappointment, out of the unsuccessful moment. That's how I ended up getting the mentor because you're sitting at the airport writing a Facebook message. Mm. It's actually through the adversity that you find the person that ultimately becomes uh, the support and the champion, the things you learn things from. I'm fascinated that. That a person arises uh, arises at that point um, to yeah right when we need them I think it's, it's and I think sometimes we um what's well, that old adage just and I don't want to no I don't want to say it's not what you know it's who you know because that's not what I mean I don't like that because I think it that almost alludes that it's kind of a hack. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it's, it, you don't have to be good. You just have to know somebody. And that also in the that's creative, not true. No, not in the creative sense either. Because the reality is, if I'd send a story to Jim, yes. that was no good, right? And Jim shops it or endorses it, yes. People are going to go. It's still not a good story, right? But I imagine the level. What I'm talking about about the quality of a person is, I imagine Jim would actually say, to you, if you sent him a manuscript that was rubbish, Jim would say, "This is rubbish." Yeah. Right. So that's the kind of person I'm. That's the kind of person I'm talking about. And when when I used to coach, um, uh, lots of people we talk we talk about um. There are three types of people in the world now. Yeah. I know there are more than three types of people in the world, but generally, they're the ones who say, um, "I don't get it. I don't get what you want to be. I don't get your vision. I don't get your future. I, I just don't understand it." Then there's the people who literally would support you to do. Literally anything. anything. Yeah. They say, I'd like to stand on my head professionally for the rest of my life. And they'd go, oh, you're amazing. You just, you just stand on your head like nobody else. I've just, isn't he wonderful? He's just kind of, and they would literally celebrate anything. And then there's the third type of person. And that's, and I think the characteristics of these third types of person are these people, right? Yeah. These people who go, I may not fully understand your vision because it's yours. And actually I shouldn't fully understand it because it's yours, but I get you. And I'm willing to step into that process with you and help you achieve the thing that you want to do. And I think they're the, the third people. They're the people that we ultimately want to pursue. They're the ones we want to find. They're the ones that when they arrive um, and they start telling truth, but also encouraging us and potentially opening doors, um, that's a really powerful moment. Mm. And I think... Um, I'm believing that as I talk to people, those people seem to turn up. They do. People's stories. See, in my story, and you go back to that first time I went to America, on my list, I wanted to talk to agents, publishers, editors, and other writers. Right. I didn't want a mentor. I didn't think I needed a mentor. All I needed was a connection. And all all these connections I went looking for faded. And the one person who jumped up is a mentor. (laughs) And so when you look back at, and and part of my process for this chat was to work out my journey in in Mm. the sense of the writing side of things, without that mentor standing up for me, adding weight to my argument, we're probably having a discussion about why I'm going to be a writer someday (laughs) because it was his weight. I mean, Steve is 
a terrific bloke and very honest and down the line. And he, he said to me point blank that Jim endorsing you meant that I took a second look at your proposal because yeah, right. he gets a thousand of these right. in one hit. Right. His metaphorical um, intray yes. is overflowing. Yeah. And so the one thing that I wasn't looking for was actually the one thing I needed yeah, and the, the one thing person. that appeared. Yeah. And that, that role that someone like Jim Rubart played mm. was not just critical but – made everything happen from that point. He played yeah. his – it's kind of like, you know, the, the chain's two metres long and it's that middle link. Yeah. Oh, we don't need that because, you know, I've, yeah, got, all the, I've got all these other links. But that was the link to the next step. Yeah, they don't connect without it. But when, when I was thinking about my processes, I actually wasn't looking for a mentor at all. But that's the one thing I needed. Yeah. And you weren't looking because you potentially didn't think you needed one. Well, that's what, in my head, I'd, I'd mapped out. No, I'd, it wasn't. That's again, not consciously. No, no, not consciously. And I'm, I'm almost, sh almost sure that I didn't go. I don't need a mentor because I'm really good at this. No, no. I'd sure. mapped out the process, which goes author, agent, agent, publisher, right. publisher, right. bookshop. So I'd gone. <laughs> all right. Yes. I'm the author. I need an agent. Yeah. Okay. When in actual fact, what I needed was was something else. And working with a mentor, and I'd encourage anybody to think about, you know, writers or, or others, have a mentor who can actually take you out for coffee and and don't, you know, blow sunshine up your skirt in yeah. the sense of telling you that everything that you do is amazing. But just go, maybe you need to learn this or maybe you need to look at that or maybe this is an idea for you. Well, look, the truth will set you free. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's really rare. It's a very rare commodity. Somebody who you... Look, I have a I have a coach, and I've had him for for years, and and he's I know he'd lie down in traffic for me, but he's also the most brutally honest person I've, mm. I've literally ever met, and we have a unique relationship, and that's really important, but it's really powerful. And I I remember I think I've told you the story, I've told lots of people the story before, but there was a famous moment with us a couple of years ago, where he asked me a very simple question, and I'm pretty sure for twenty to twenty five minutes, I um answered that question in very entertaining fashion mm -hmm. and to which he patiently waited and sat there and looked at me and nodded and at the end of 20 25 minutes he said to me uh, are you are you done <laughs> and i said oh, um, I, good question I, I think i might be <laughs> and he said um he looked straight at me and he said that was bullshit he said to me <laughs> and i went that's honesty and i said sorry he goes oh no no it was well rehearsed bullshit but it was still bullshit yeah and he said can you answer the question? And I said, well, evidently not. <laughs> and he goes, okay. So how about you stop talking for two minutes and how about we work on trying to answer that question? And for me, that sums, a that, sums that whole thing up, yeah. right? Now, one, he's honest with me. He sees straight through the whatever. But also I'm willing to take that from him because I know what he means when he says that. That's not him having a go at me or trying to knock me down or that's him trying to help me take the next step that I need to make. He's trying to help me get through it. And I think I think that third person, that's just a powerful moment. And I think we've underestimated the, oh, absolutely. the power of those absolutely. Um, in that process. And it requires, you used the word a while back, which is vulnerability. Yeah. It, it's it's saying to to somebody, I give you permission to give me some honest feedback. Now, yeah. I know you're more of a, a soccer follower than AFL. Yes. I'm AFL more than soccer. Yes. One of the things that they've done in, in AFL teams for the last 20 years is this idea of honest feedback where right. um, 
your teammates will sit back and they won't abuse you, but they'll say, this is how we see you. Right. Because in that team environment, they need to make sure that they can trust each other when the chips are down. And when the chips are down, you don't want people saying, oh, you're amazing, when you're clearly out of form and not playing well. And so even that kind of honesty has built Mm. sporting teams. See, the the question Jim asked me is, is I'd – even though I know better, I'd written a website and social media and all this sort of stuff for myself as an author talking about what I write. Okay. Now, I know very well when I do that for a client that that's not what people are interested in. They're interested in why you write. And so yeah. Jim Jim looked at my, my website and social media and said, why do you write? And I went and explored that. And then he pulled it back a step further and said, who are you? What makes you tick? Because that's what people connect with. Yeah. Now, I know that professionally. In fact, I'm... I'm meeting with clients today and tomorrow where I'm going to ask them that question. And I've asked that question forever. But when it came to me, I was putting (laughs) forward what I thought people wanted to see, thinking that it was going to be attractive and be the reason that they, they took me on board. When in actual fact, you're having somebody alongside who went, no, 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 no. People connect with who you are and why you do what you do. And I changed to that. And then things started to flow. So yeah, it's, it's such an important role that, people could play in our lives and we can play in other people's lives is is to to give them a sense of you know what i i see you i don't see what you do but i see you and this is what i see powerful well we're wired for community we're wired for a friend of mine put something i don't know the exact words on instagram the other day and it it said um, maybe maybe we're so focused on self-care because we've uh, lost the ability to care for each other and community that's Wow, I have to That's take deep. extra. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I just like it is. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't look after yourself. I'm just saying, but maybe if we were we were connected to more of the people who were honest with us and were walking with us, and um, see, I've also yeah, been exploring. Be I've been exploring this idea that in a world of social media and protest, we now have you're either for us or you're against us. And we've yeah. seen a number of social issues here in Australia over the last number of years mm. where if you're not for us, you must hate us. Right. Now, that's across a range of social issues. Right. I'm not looking at the social issues. I'm looking at the fact that I think life is a bit more than yeah. I'm on your side or I'm not. Yeah. And I think the power in going beyond that is to say to somebody, I'm for you. I'm not for what you do. Yeah. Now, by that please don't write in and send Richard emails because I'm making a statement about social blah, blah, blah. It's more about if somebody's somebody's trying to go somewhere or reach an objective or has a dream in mind yeah. and they're going about it the wrong way and I can see that, Yeah, I think there's so much more value in me pointing that out in the right way than by going, you go and you be the best sunbeam you can because yeah. Yeah. I know they're not going to get there. Well, I just I just think we need to humanise things more. I think we've we've dehumanised so many kind of concepts. And for me, I guess this journey of talking about life and career and work and uh, responsibility and how you kind of my favourite word at the moment is mush. I don't know why, but how you mush that together? Okay, because that's how I feel. That's what it feels like for me. Is I'm trying to make it all work. How, I wanted to I want to kind of humanise that process. Like you don't need another talking head saying this is how you should do it. Like. I don't know how to do it. I'm trying to work. I think we're all working it out, right? And and we've got to humanize that process. And yeah. we, we've got to talk about people, not not just theories and not just concepts. And um, I, th- I think the idea of having a career and being successful is a concept. Like, let, let's humanize it. What does it actually mean to do that? Mm. What does it generally mean 
to be brave enough to try something you love? Or what, what does that mean? What does it look like? Give me a practical sort of moment of all that. I think that's some. That's for me. Mm. What I think the the plan is, sort of moving forward. We got yeah. very deep there at the end. That was we did was actually. Really good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Um, this is where you live, Richard. This is I do live in this space. <laughs> and my my brain works in this space at a very fast pace of knots. Um, thank you for your story and for your time. Pleasure. I'm sure it won't be the last time we talk on this podcast. Um, really quick. So what's next? What's on now? So one book is published. One book is published, and so it's like everywhere. This is me putting and my what promo so mode hat on. Do the promo. Do the promo. So the Bagger Chandler is available in the all real world bookstores. in all good bookstores, <laughs> and some in hardcover, which is really nice because I'm a I'm a book nerd. Yeah. So going into a bookshop and actually smelling books and that sort of stuff is actually you have a leather bookcase for your laptop, don't you? I do Looks actually like a book. I know. Yeah. And that's how nerdy I am. <laughs> so the Bagger Chandler is out in hardcover, but it's also out online. So you we can find that on Amazon and places like that. Or you'll find it in that? Amazon, and if you're in the states, Barnes and Noble. Here in Australia, it's in Dimex and Kurong and various other places. Okay, cool. Coming out in German next year. Coming in out German? in Dutch in a couple of months. So for the Dutch speakers, the baggage handler. If I <laughs> is that how it's no no um, it's not right. Probably not. And if I could speak Dutch, I'd probably say something to your Dutch audience, but I don't. Okay, I don't have a Dutch audience. I don't believe not at this point. Okay, just one guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's also available in an audiobook. So Oh great. Okay. Yeah, so you can you can do the audiobook thing. Then I've got book two, which is called The Camera Never Lies. Have you did you do the audiobook or someone else done No, no, I've got a professional to do it. Okay, all right. Um yeah, they actually HarperCollins actually asked me what sort of voice do I want? And I asked for Morgan Freeman and didn't get him. <laughs> so Stephen Fry, I thought you might have got that. Would have well, been. no, it needs to be an American voice. So yeah, it was okay. it was a voice artist out of Nashville called John Watson. Okay. And did a great job. Right. Um so yeah, Camera Never Lies is December. Okay. So the baggage handler, yeah. the theme, because I'm writing about themes. themes. So the baggage handler is obviously about people dealing with emotional baggage. Okay. The camera never lies is talking about honesty and transparency. Right. So it's about the story of a marriage counsellor whose own marriage is failing. Oh. And he is he inherits from his grandfather a, an old SLR camera. And every time he takes photos, it reveals another of his secrets. Right. So there's that type of thing. Wow. And you're talking about deep. Wow. Uh, and then book three is due next year. Um, that's still only got a working title. And that's... Okay. That's a story about uh, discovering who you are. Okay. That's the theme for that one. That's about four Americans who catch up um, to reunite after college and they come to yep. Australia Okay. to go on an Outback tour and ah. they all get separated and have to find their way back. And when they find their way back, they also find out who they were and who they could have been. So Bringing Australia and America together. Well, that's the best way I could do it. It's yeah. an American characters coming to an Australian landscape. Yeah, sure. So I get to be all Aussie. Are there any dragons in the third one? Because I heard that sells well. Well, now that you've said that, there should be. It will be an Aussie dragon. Good. Yeah, probably a place for St. George. (laughs) For your Sydney listeners. Good story. Needs more dragons. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, so that's what I'm contracted for, and then we sit down and work out what to do. How exciting. Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting again as as this all continues to develop. But... Good on you, David. Thanks, I mate. Said to you that, I'll be honest with you. I said the other day I was really jealous, didn't I? I you did. That. And I'm not jealous of your success. I'm jealous that you have been brave enough to just keep going. And to be honest, it has um, encouraged and challenged me as a byproduct of you just going after doing what you're supposed to do. It has challenged me to pull my finger out and get on with it. <laughs> I was waiting. Which Aussie, <laughs> which Aussie saying is he going to pull out here? Um, but um, it's... Um, 
I know you don't do it to encourage others. You do it because it's what's next, but I am encouraged and I'm challenged. And so it's um, been a privilege to watch and to be part of and to talk to you through it. And it's a privilege to hear you share more of that as, as you move forward. No, thanks. It's, yeah, it's the encouragement should be part of anybody's story. Yeah. Probably. We should look at each other and say that that will inspire me to do yeah. whatever's next well, for me. Well, our, so. st- our stories are built to be shared. Yeah. They're not built to be put in a cupboard and not told to other people. So thank you for your story today. A pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget, hit subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast app to get all of our updates and all of our episodes as soon as they've gone live. Um, I really hope that you continue to hang around and listen to this story as it continues to unfold as I talk to more and more people about how they put together their life, their work, their passions and their responsibilities and kind of make it all work. I'm fascinated because I'm trying to work it out myself. I hope you're learning something as well. All right. See you soon. See ya.